welcome to The Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we are going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest war show of all the Star Treks. Sorry, Discovery. My name is Wade Bowen, and with me, as always, is James Nolan. Kurahi. And Hugh Crawford. Hey. <laughs> hey. This week we are talking about an episode called The Siege of AR-558. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is episode 8 of season 7. It originally aired November 18th, 1998, and here is the IMDb description. Captain Sisko and his away team volunteer to stay behind it with a besieged unit at an isolated outpost. This is the War is Hell episode, and I feel like it's been a while since we've had one of these. Right. Mm-hmm. This is this is the War is Hell episode of all the War is Hell episodes arguably on Deep Space 9. Really? Even more so than the Red Badge of Courage episode? I mean, this is the one that people talk about the most, I feel like, as being like, this is a pretty well-lauded episode, I think. Because of the Nog stuff? I think so. Like, just the war. I see this one talked up. I mean, you're out there on those streets talking to people about (laughs) DS9. I don't know. (laughs) Vulture Magazine recently labeled it the 12th best. It's generally a consistency of top 15 in the list of top 15 episodes. From just, you know, my uh, anecdotal evidence, it's like, well, there's Pale Moonlight and Far Beyond the Stars are always at the top. And then there's The Visitor... And then, like, this this one gets talked up in that tier below that of people talking up of, like, their favorite mm-hmm. episodes. This is not my favorite. Okay. This is not... I don't have much criticism for this episode other than it's not the kind of story I like, just in general. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not what I like about Star Trek. As far as... Star Trek, the grittiness of war episodes. I feel like I get you get more more of those in Deep Space Nine than any of the any mm-hmm. of the other treks. I, th- I think it's fair to say. Absolutely. Like, I mean yeah. that this is the Deep Space Nine is the actual like war series, right? Because I, I don't remember this, and then it sort of got built up as you know, as it's one of those episodes where people talk about it, and I didn't remember it. Uh-huh. So you know, it sort of gets you know built up. So I was. Let me preface it. What you're forgetting is. Uh, related to my forgetting because we've had about we've had about two or three episodes where i thought this is where nog loses a leg and it's not <laughs> yes right like last season every time we saw nog on uh, the ship of the defiant yeah. i'm like he's gonna fucking yeah. lose his leg yes yeah yeah <laughs> you remember the lost leg not so much that yeah yeah rocks and shoals the beginning of like season five i'm like he's definitely losing his leg <laughs> yeah like, no. yeah I think that there's two stories, not two stories, there's not two different plots, but there's two stories going on here, one of which that I find incredibly compelling and well done, and that's like what it feels like mm-hmm. to be assault. You know, I think that that's, isn't that like an old military term, is the people that have been on the front lines, and as they go there for longer than they need to, their, their brain starts fraying and they get very cynical and very punchy, and that's like they're called salts. And then oh, when yeah. the new guys come in, they're called boots. So I felt like that this was sort of an interesting sort of look at what it's like to be on those lines, like the way that Tuco Salamanca's brain started fraying and the other <laughs> guy. in this. Yeah. And, sorry, Tuco Salamanca's in this, and that's awesome. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. how that feels, and that sort of, like, I think they did a very good job of capturing that, reflecting that, and all of those things. Then there is sort of another way to like this was a very controversial episode to get made. I don't know. Like, oh, yeah. I think like Iris and Bear said something about I had to work harder to get that one made than any of the other ones, any of the other episodes. Huh. So, and I think it's be, 
I don't know. But I think that if there's the other story is that this is what it's like to be on the front line. Mm -hmm. And this is what it's like from a psychological perspective. The other thing is that I think that the episode is trying to make a commentary on war in general. And that is where I, I, I finally, I find, I find that facile. And I feel like I, I felt like it was interesting why I found that argument facile yeah so right yeah are you talking about the houdini mines at the end that and well i and then some of corks like we wouldn't have even gotten into this kind of yeah right like are they even fighting a just war yes that was what i was this concept that these space gangsters are are like wanting to like take over everything but we would have like we wouldn't be in this mess if if we like there's an i don't know like i don't know we haven't talked on our show whether or not the the idea that the dominion war is even a just war yeah well because it's coming at a high cost and they do a good job of illustrating that you know on the face of it you go it's self-evident that it's a just war they were invaded by you know a force that wants to control them not to not to push them back on a line not to do anything but to eradicate them to you know to 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 control them restrict their freedom and control their yeah yeah. and so i to dominate them (laughs) i've been thinking a lot about the 90s for a lot of reasons Uh and one of the things that it seems to me is that the 90s were this time period that thought that they existed outside of ideology. Wars, like, we'll never have another Vietnam. Yes. Number one. Yes. Right. Right. There's, there was, like, things, we will never have another Great Depression. We'll never have another Vietnam. Mm-hmm. We'll have never have another Cold War. Yes. Like, right. these are the yeah. things that we will never, like... Neoliberalism has 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 won, and we're, we are... Right. Well, we, I mean, the, the most famous book on foreign policy was called The End of History. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Fucking hubris on... All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, hu- it's hubris, and I also think that it... It afforded that one of their blind spots is that they didn't see that people fight for things. You know, Iris Stephen Bear wrote this episode and is driving the ship here. And I think that Iris Stephen Bear probably comes from an era where what they remember in their life was uh, two, you know, dumb, unjust wars. And that was uh, Vietnam and Korea. And I think that it led you to have this sort of cynical view towards it. And then all of the artwork that would that he would have watched when he was cool and in the sixties and seventies. The things that movies seem to reflect that. Think of MASH, both the movie mm-hmm. and the show, uh, think of Catch Twenty Two. You know, MASH is about Korea, but it's about Vietnam. Catch twenty two is about World War Two, but it's about Vietnam. Or like if you read any science fiction, you're reading Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. And you're reading about like I mean you know, so slaughterhouse yeah, pie. Yeah, because a, a literal war is hell with time travel, and that are all specifically commentaries on the Cold War, and sort of the purposelessness and du- like the sort of infantile nature. Well, I mean, that was Dresden. Yeah, but yeah. yeah well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Dresden, but like, yeah, no, not not that, but like, uh, you know, because he wrote a lot in the '60s and a lot about sort of yes, sort of yes. like these you know, Pyrrhic, like, arms races, like, you know, I was thinking of Cat's Cradle. But, um... Yes. And sort of the purposelessness of all of these things. And so I think that it causes... I think that Iris Stephen Bear wrote this episode in a way that they didn't ask whether the, the war was just or not. It was just the idea that war is hell and war war is bullshit. And... 
And right. I feel like that, A, it's a it's kind of a contradiction. Like in just the Star Trek lore, it's the contradiction to City on the Edge of Forever. Because remember, the, the point of City on the Edge of Forever is that they had a peace movement, that Joan Collins' character creates a peace movement right. that leads us to not be in World War II and causes... Right. So war does have a point. You know, the whole point of that was sort of that war kind of... War footings have a point and you can't... Because there's a war of ideology, and you can be right or fight for what's right, especially in a defensive war like what the Federation is fighting here. That's what the soldiers would have told themselves to at least got up in the morning. Like, I felt like it was kind of, yeah, like it was just kind of like Vietnam, and I was like, I don't know if that's applicable here. The story that it seemed like he wanted to tell, which I think there's some merit in this kind of story too, but I agree with all the points you're saying, because like the why of it Mm -hmm. and all. Right. But like... The story that he's trying to tell, I feel like, and he, I think he does a fairly well idea of showing how war can kind of destroy your own kind of, or not even destroy, but kind of beat down your humanity or whatever, you know, the, the mm-hmm. goodness. Quark is a good foil in the system, and he's a good he's a good sci-fi alien in, in his way of, like, we're not like humans. Like, humans and his whole thing with tell, talking to Nog, who he's just trying to protect his nephew and everything, and his whole thing about, like, Oh, these humans are. If you beat them down enough, they stop being these lovable, nice people, and they they're they're just as vicious as Klingons. Mm-hmm. And and they're when you put them in a corner, they turn into something different that is not nice and is not good, and it's the worst of humanity. The court is specifically one of the parts of it where I felt like the that made the least sense. Because he's just cynical, pragmatic uh, bartender who 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 spent all of like the first few seasons shitting on his nephew. Now he's like running yeah. soup out to the front line or yeah. whatever. It feels like they're running with those ideas that they brought up even in the second second season when they first got the Jim Hadar, where he's talking about why the Ferengi are better than humans because they don't have these wars. Or I mean, and you can agree or disagree with that stuff, but that's kind of the stuff they're honking on. That's the, and the reason for that is very neoliberal. And I, yeah, that's one of the things that I was wanting to like that. I think that Iris Stephen Bear writes these stories. And if something about it is sort of off to me now, it's right, because right. I, I, I sort of I've developed this sort of aversion to neoliberal ideology that there is no right or wrong. There's just the management of them like uh-huh. that there. And I think that that's I mean, he doesn't say it. And, and I wish they just put the fucking words in Quark's mouth because the argument doesn't make any sense unless he thinks this. But it's that humans fight wars. Us Ferengis are better. We bargain. We negotiate. Right. We compromise, yeah. And that is a very narrow, very neoliberal, I, that everything is transactional, that everything can be bought and right. sold, and that it's worth it. You, you're going to take a loss, but you're going to get this, and at the end of the day, it's peace. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that that wouldn't have been enough because the Dominion... There was no bargain to be had with the Dominion. Like, they've right. highlighted that a lot. I mean, I think that Quark is a voice piece for Iris Stephen Bear's ideology in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm going on that assumption. And it's an ideology that is very much fits in the time that it was written. Like, yes. They don't have the frame that we do. Mm-hmm. And they should have. You know, some mm-hmm. some people did have the right mindset in the 90s, but it wasn't like... The, the millennium, the turn of the millennial has yeah, been a yeah. nightmare yeah, yeah. in America and the world in general. You know, so that's sort of what we're saying is that this ideology that he's putting forth rests in this period that is clearly was not going to... It was conveying an ideology that didn't help us a fucking bit. Right, right, right. You know? Right. And, and, and I'm not saying that wars need to be fought, and I'm not arguing for some sort of global 
empire sort of thing, but well, I mean, it's the the movie that they're ripping off of is that Steve McQueen movie about the World War Two. Yes, so like it's like Guadalcanal. It's, or you can't. Yeah. It's called Hell is for Heroes. Yes, yes. That's yes. it. That's it. It's got Bobby Darren in it too. So if you <laughs> does he sing Lady as a Tramp? I don't know. I've, I've, Lady as a Scamp at the cold open of that. I haven't seen it probably in like twenty years. But but the funny thing about it is is that it's a different war. It's not the Vietnam War. I don't know. There's this idea that part of the reason why they were so afraid the characters in the show is because they were supposed to be switched swapped out every ninety days, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So again, it goes back to your management thing. Mm-hmm. If, if would we this episode even happen if uh, the Federation had the could swap them out every 90 days you know like mm-hmm. yeah. it's like right. even if it was managed differently it would have it would have been different I, you know that they're stuck they're they yeah. they may have managed because you know they're spread thin in this sector they were trying to retake the chintaka system they're more interested in telling about a story about war mm-hmm. and instead of trying to tell a story about this war and the why of it or anything but i think that that's one of the things that i was uh, that it seems to me and i don't know i'm not served and i'm i'm speaking as someone who's never fought a fucking day in his life so like, you know, what the fuck? Like, I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say. But it seems to me that ideals, you know, like, that's the thing that they drill is for America and all that sort of shit. Like, I felt like that this was like, like this was like surprisingly devoid of the idea that they are fighting for survival, not just literally, but in a, on a big on a big scale too. Yeah. Yeah, but when you're in the military, I haven't fought either, so I'll take mm-hmm. this with a grain. They don't teach you to fight for ideals. They they strip you of your humanity just so that you can kill. It's mm-hmm. not ideals don't really have anything to do with it. You follow orders. But they, you're a soldier for a cause. Right. And but and that was sort of stripped out of that's this. that's mostly ends up being empty platitudes and it's just kind of like they just they're turning you into a grunt and machine for killing. Maybe, maybe, but I, I and I'm sure it feels like that to these guys. That's why I said that there's two stories yeah, yeah. here. There's the right, a right, show right. about what it feels like to be, you know, in this fucking battle of caisson or whatever. Which by the way we should point out this was directed by Heinrich Kolb, who actually did fight in Vietnam and I think was a part of the Battle of Caisson. Oh, so wow. they you know, I'm not even gonna say that they were trying to fake it there. I think that, that was the only reason the only reason why this episode might work in a larger context of star trek is it shows that the federation is clearly losing mm-hmm. they can't even w- run the war yes. the way they want to mm-hmm. and that it is justification for basically what cisco has to do at the end of the series i don't know if that's the case like i don't know if- i don't know if i agree i think that's just i mean maybe that's that but i think just like wars yeah i mean wars help that's what and, and that's right. when we get yeah. to the point where war is hell i think that that's a facile argument so you're saying that war isn't always yes but oftentimes well war is is not a war is okay let's not say war is hell but war is an unnecessary hell that is not necessary not be hell like even it's just literally unnecessary like this all could have been avoided and you're saying that's facile to say that it could be avoided right yeah yeah Yeah. i agree with that but like once you're in it war it's gonna suck every time from a personal standpoint yes i'm saying that i feel like that there's a personal side to that's why i'm trying to put them in two baskets here i'm afraid that people will think that my argument is the show sucks because it doesn't represent my politics and (laughs) what i'm saying is is that i think that the show does a very good job of of saying of like all of that stuff you know, with Tupac Salamanca, with Will Robinson, all of those, all of that stuff felt real. All of that stuff with yeah. Esri being stuck there, Nog, and all of that shit felt very real. And I and I think it's probably very good, and I think it's probably a help for people who struggle with stuff like that. I know that uh, a fan of ours who runs a podcast from A, a Hell of a Way to yeah. Die 
He would have been a better way, a better person, like an actual war veteran. American propagandist on, on Twitter. Everybody should follow him and listen to his podcast yeah. and give him money for his Patreon. Yes, he's good, he's good people. But like, I, th- I know that he says that this that they nailed that. And I'm saying that that part of the episode is is very, very good. And and they should be very proud that how that, that they achieve that. But that there's this sort of argument there that, that I think feels quaint and, and maybe of a, of a pre- time past. Sure. And so maybe key to like why I received Barry gets on my nerves so much. Because he, you know, this is a decision distinctly we talk about it's something 90s but i've never thought about it is distinctly pre 9-11 and pre-iraq war you know and all of the sort of hell world shit that's we've been thrown into in the tumult but so i don't don't confuse me about this i'm not for these wars of empire but i am for <laughs> you know wars of defending yourself and fighting for a future that yeah. you want to have and i like if you get punched in the face you don't negotiate your way out yeah of it. Like, yeah you're you're all about defending yourself and sometimes like, you just, just sometimes uh if you have to kill a bunch of motherfuckers to do the right thing for history the civil war comes to mind it's time to kill a bunch of motherfuckers because it's worth it and and i and i don't and with this it was that these guys are literally def- <laughs> the mistake is letting the losers erect statues <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's it's the, 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 it's a it's guilt a winner's guilt is the is the mistake and i don't think that they would say that but i think that just in general they have a, a post vietnam view of of that and you know right and, and i think that that's a facile argument and i I don't think it's applicable to what they're going through because they're not going through some dumb cold war bullshit there were invaded right, right. yeah yeah i agree with you like mm-hmm. but just taken out of context like you can take this one battle that is like a vietnam kind of derived story and you can take that out and you can plan it in like post 9-11 war and it, it matches up pretty well because those are both kind of weird wars to get into you know, yeah yeah i mean we fucked you know we lost our damn yeah we lost our damn months after 9-11 um, yeah, so so in that case i feel like we're you know, still trying I, to put it yeah, back we never together. got our mind back like you can argue like the reasoning of and and why they're fighting this war is a problem and everything you said there but Aside from that, I I still like this episode a lot for for all the stuff it does do. Oh but, yeah, most of I think we're we're in agreement mm-hmm. there. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I don't <laughs> no? like it. Okay. I think that if you're gonna tell this story, there are better there are better wars hell stories and better vehicles to do it than Star Trek. I I mean, sh- sure, but for a Star Trek wars hell story, I feel like this one gets a lot. Right. I actually almost does. think that the the Red Bad- Badge of Courage wars hell episode is more effective than this one mm-hmm. not for me but i mean i like both of those episodes so I it's mean, just but I, I, it's it's the quark i like i feel like if the quark stuff wasn't the quark in stuff here is a real sticking point it yeah, really is yeah. because he does bring it he brings us he he's supposed to be the voice of reason to a certain extent and i just consistently disagree with him i yeah. i like the quark stuff just because i mean i don't agree i mean all the stuff you're saying about the you know i don't believe like you could bargain your way out of it i agree with what you said Mm-hmm. before Chase but I what I like about the Quark stuff is it set like the aliens in this Quark has his alien mindset that is different from humans and even Worf I think it's a, it's a great like the idea to not bring Worf down to fight this battle because this is mm-hmm. a battle this is an episode about war what war does to humanity and the, what they specific, makes, he, the writer specifically chose the least battle ready people in the cast well and 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 well and and what makes klingons klingons and what sets their alienness is that they are not human they live for battle and it's right their alienness is that they're equipped to do that of course like oh humans might 
revert. But even when, saying that, even saying that makes no sense to me. But Klingons are different, and that's a thing. And to tell the story about what it does to people, they they actively choose not to put the Klingon in this episode. Sure, but I'd like like you, what the, the larger point of about what war does to people, like what it turns them into or whatever, is yeah. whenever Esri has that little speech at the end about, well, just a few hours, a few days ago, these 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 bombs. We, what did we think about these bombs, guys? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking that that's and I then mean, and it's not posing, it's not giving you answers. It's just like it's it's posing the question, and it, I think it's a fine question to bring up, but it's not like the the, ep- the show doesn't say, oh shit, she's right we shouldn't do this they're like well yeah but we're in a battle we're in a war for our lives and we got to take the tool the shit that we can and cisco's like you're right but this is what we're gonna do but it is kind of say i think it okay does. so then what do i think it yeah it does i think it is saying that but i thinking it's saying that it the whole point is it it, it does say something it's yeah. saying that we've been transformed into something horrible yeah Right, but I don't think it says that we have a choice to do otherwise. And I think that that has the ethical weight of uh, that song by the Flight of the Concords about the issues. <laughs> like, these people yes, making sneakers, but they it. ain't no cheaper. Yes. You know, it's like it's a really facile <laughs> yes. argument that you're making here. <laughs> yeah, th- that's, that's the issue. That's why I felt like it was I was being bought, like, every 15 minutes would would pass and I would be presented a facile argument. And I think that's why I didn't enjoy the episode. I, I mean, I don't, I don't find the argument as facile if, if it, once you just take it and talk about like what war does to people. That's okay. Like, so like this war may or not be justified or, I mean, it is justified. I agree with you on that. But once you take it out of the, and you're just telling a story about what war does to people, I don't know. For me, it works. One of the things that was weird to me is he's saying that you, you like human, he was specifically making a statement that the humans are two-faced, that they're incredibly nice and they're embarrassed, like that's, the sort of the thing is that you know humans are nicer than Ferengis that's how they've always been cast as you corrupt vile little vermin you know that kind of shit yeah yeah and so but they're two-faced because they'll turn into fucking beasts if they're hungry or starving or if they're like you know if their survival is threatened right um and I think that like well it begs the question well don't Ferengi? I mean, aren't they organisms? And isn't there, I mean, isn't that just the price of being an organism? Is that you? No, I think it, I think, well, I mean, in fantasy and sci-fi, like there, we're all, the aliens are, uh, you know, reflective of humanity too. But the, what, what most aliens and race and fantasy species and races and stuff are there to kind of uh, crystallize one aspect Mm -hmm. of our, the human condition and, and zero in on that. And that's kind of what the Ferengi do. So they're not, they're not people. That's my thing that, that I keep harping on all the time. And that's that the the thing that separates them is they don't have that thing that humans have. And humans in most of the genre fiction, their strength is their diversity, as it were. So they, they have a larger range of what they do. Okay, yeah. so the commentary is that when humans' survival uh, is threatened, that they become irritable and more violent. Maybe that's the sort of thing, is that I think that the 90s were also plagued by this sort of concept of personal responsibility for the world around you, that you, like, that's like all the, the new age, all the hippies stopped protesting. Well, they made fun of that in PCU. Yeah, they remember? stopped, yeah, yeah. They, like, that was like the whole joke of PCU is that you all are taking personal responsibility for something that yeah that and it's everything it, it, it's movie. like the thing that I you know like the <laughs> and you know I I sort of roll my eyes on any of these Mr. Sort of, Selfridge yes. in college <laughs> but this idea that all of the hippies in America are the you know people who started off fighting the war but then just sort of turned into like Let's all just heal ourselves. And if we all ascend or elevate to a higher 
plane or, 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 or sort of fix these problems in ourselves or clear these engrams, then we can be shed of all of these things. And I think that that's sort of like what that scene is, is that humans can't shed themselves of their of this vicious side of them. But it was just kind of like, I mean, that really is a condition of of existence. So we can't shed ourselves of needing to shit after we eat or piss. It's a condition of. It, see, it's I a, didn't. I don't see. I don't see that scene as prescribing. This is how people need to change. I think it's just like describing an aspect of the human condition. To the to the best of my knowledge, it's a condition of all animal conditions. Like of all. Or- no, it's, it's a lot of animals. Some animals will just curl up and die. I mean, and and what in the fact that. I mean, Ferengis are different, and they're different species. They re- they respond differently to humans, and I think it's important that aliens actually be different. And this is that's just one way that they are, and the way that Klingons are is different too. And that's why they didn't bring them down. Then how? Well, then it would be nice to see that. Have we ever showed their? Have we ever showed them? Have we ever seen a starving? It's not like Quark doesn't succumb to emotion. Sure, but his. And res- it's not like Quark doesn't lash out when he feels threatened. So I don't really. It's his only argument is is that Ferengi's our value is that we're always like no, this. No, it's it's not. It's kind of like the real. It's kind of like the outrace is saying, "Well, I'm about, you, you. You should worry less about me and worry about the people who are secretly racist." Well, and I think the episode actually does it like shows pretty well. Like Quark talks up about how we're different and all, but then even when it gets down to his whole thing is trying, he's looking out for his nephew, and then I think the episode makes a point to even when. When put in a desperate situation, he he turns around and he kills the Jim Hadar too. Like mm. he talks a big game about trying he think it better. But even even when yeah, you're right, even in put a desperate enough situation, everybody reacts like that. Mm-hmm. But I think they make a point of doing that with Quark, and they do the rack focus like when he shoots him. It's the, the dramatic music swells, and mm-hmm. it's, you know it's it's very melodramatic and all. But I I thought it I thought it worked. More than being irritated, I found it, it was like it was just very like oh I I, I kind of see where what they're doing that constantly gets under my craw now and that it is this sort of inequities war stuff like that uh, you know it's these personal failings right. why this was difficult for Iris Stephen Bear to make and why it, Deep Space Nine was controversial at the time amongst the thinking man Star Trek fans was this a concept that it does. The, what we talk about, the Federation seems like a shitty place, and it sort of uh, undermines these ideals that were like the, you know, it undermines the encounter right. at Farpoint speech that Picard gives. Right, that's, that's kind of what so, I was thinking, too. Like, it shows that humans are not as evolved as we think we are, and the whole point of Star Trek is that we, we're better now. And But when you when put in this crucible, like, we're not. Yeah. That's kind of what is great about Deep Space Nine compared to other tricks. Mm, yeah, so that's, but when you start doing that, um, you know, once you start looking into that to mine those kind of stories, and it's nice in a little bit. It's a peek under the, you know, it's like anything. It, like you can do it to excess or you can do it for contrast. That's what you wanted. That's probably what they wanted to do it, started doing it for. But eventually you're, you're just watching a show without that aspirational element to it. You're just watching a show about the nature of human, you know, and that's edifying too. Maybe this has suffered from, from that is that... We've watched, we've had 15, 20 years now of television that's mining the, the inequities of humanity and, and personal individuals and stuff like that. And we, 
one of the things now that that we miss or I miss about Star Trek or that we miss is that having an aspirational goal. Yeah. And so when you get into these episodes, like you're losing a North Star, you know? Yeah. I guess so. I mean, but for me, like if you're telling a story that uh, it's just even if it's not aspirational or it's not prescribing an actual solution, but it's describing the human condition and talking about and and these themes and it, I think it does an all right job of that. So for me, even if it's not like, it's not really offering a solution that, other than Quark's kind of solution, which you're right, does not work. Like, is there a reason for this? I think it's just a little bit muddled mm-hmm. in its in its ideology. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, the, it, or viewpoint. I would be interested if he would write the episode the same way. Now, I, I would be interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I would. I don't think you could write it the same way. You know, given all our recent history after this was made. I, I think in both ways. I, a, I don't think he would have that such a concrete sort of statement. But, you know, I don't think he would have such a yeah, yeah. war's all kind of bullshit. We can negotiate our way. You know, we need to just start bartering. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I don't think it would have that in it necessarily. But I also think that the war is hell part would be just way better because we have like the sense memory of, you know, we, we fought this kind of bullshit yeah. wars where everybody's pinned down and can't do anything, you know. And doesn't make a lot of sense, and you don't know where, you know, basically we're just, it's the kind of war where you're not doing a lot of fighting, but your epinephrine and your adrenaline are just pumping, and your, you're the, all, you know, and that fear is just sort of, like, permanently branding on your psyche, you know, what comes after that, which is, you know, that we can, we, we have to say that Nog and what happens to Nog has ramifications. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and other, you know, so, you know, this episode's got a direct sequel, like, I think next week (laughs) or two weeks weeks from now. Yeah. So this episode has a direct sequel with similar scenes and stuff like that. So, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, well, we can't do it just next episode. I don't know. Quick throw a filler episode. I haven't watched next week yet. So I don't know how, mm -hmm. how of a, just a toss off it is just to put space in between this one. I think the war is hell stuff is good. I think that the sermonizing about war is, underthought right so i think that that's where that's where i sort of land on this we talked last week about court being kind of wasted and mm-hmm. just been him mooning over dax when they finally do well that we have the cold open with rom singing lady as a scamp when instead of lady as a tramp and it's like okay fine <clears throat> oh, i guess they, they have to foreshadow vic i guess Wolf. foreshadowing the ds9 doc oh it's got max grown chick singing loud songs huh i'll say so no more then when it cuts to um, they're on the Defiant and they don't have go oh, we don't have a Hollow Suite where we're going I'm like thank God but we get more of it later burned him a CD <laughs> yeah yeah right but when Quark shows up I mean in my head canon I was like oh man I wish this wasn't in the lunchroom because it sounds like a postcoital he's sitting on the edge of the bed brooding and Dax is like no it, maybe I am talking out of my ass here but it felt like this could this scene could also be transferred into another show to where it's a guy who's just slept with a woman and he's mm. talking which scene are you talking about yeah i don't know what you're talking there, about it's him talking to dax in the lunchroom of the defiant and he's like oh, oh. what am i doing here and and you don't see dax and she's like she's giving him a pep talk. oh yeah I it didn't. felt almost like if you did write where him and dax hook up this would be like the bedroom talk <laughs> pillow talk that they were having as they went to the cork you're mumbling again I'm sorry. And he's like, oh, I wish the 
the Nagus never sent me here. It's just not fair. She's like, no, he's looking out for you. He thinks of you like a son. And but the Grand Nagus picked you for this assignment. No, he doesn't. He's just here to get rid of me and fact-finding mission to the front lines. And here's exposition for why I'm in this episode. And then we get the 34th rule of acquisition stated again. War is good for business. But we get an addendum that it's like, well, it's only good at a distance. Like the closer you get to the front lines, the less profitable it gets. You can't make any money when you're dead. Isn't yeah, that, that one of them? That's that's rule number 125 that he brings up later. Yeah. When he's given the we would bargain our way out of this if we were if the if the humans let us. We don't need to go into every detail of this episode. We get Tuco Salamanca and we, this, and we also get uh Will Robinson. Right? Yes, which is all two-way stunt casting. He's Will Robinson. He was also one of the characters on Babylon, Babylon 5. 5. Yeah. He almost changed the line. <laughs> Are you changing the line? Are you changing the line? He almost changed the line. So, okay, so here's an interesting story about the behind the scenes that I found interesting. The Cold War is interesting because they're going to beam down into a war zone. Iris Stephen Bear wrote for them to transport already crouching so that they arrive in a crouch. Uh, and the Cold War fought them on that and took it all the way up to Bourbon and, like, <laughs> refused to film until they... They beamed down standing up. They wanted to, like, come in in a hot LZ. Yeah. So I think that it has to be, I can't understand her artistic intransigence there yeah. to the point where I wonder if it was just a weird power play to like and then that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah like if she's just like if she's just like i gotta like that was her green m and huh? she's new fish on the block you know and so she's gotta like yeah, yeah. she's gotta fucking take down the biggest motherfucker in the courtyard and so she just bodies iris Stephen bear just to sort of make a point <laughs> i guess and i thought that was yeah, funny yeah what are these red M&Ms doing in my dressing room? And then the memory alpha has because they're memory alpha they always have to have the addendum and they go Kirk and his crew ducked during the transport and the Corbinite maneuver. <laughs> and so I was yeah. just kind of like, oh, so she went on this and she was wrong. <laughs> so what, what, I, I don't know. It just seemed like such a weird behind the scenes thing to me. That is that is weird. That is definitely weird. They're really proud of the of the score during the battle. I They got away with more dynamic music scoring than a lot than TNG does a lot. The Bashir, like, I, I thought I'd play uh, some Vic Fontaine to chill everybody out that was interesting i guess but like i again i haven't fought in a war but i know for a fucking fact they wouldn't play let's calm everybody down and put people in peaceful mood before the big battle they, they're playing like death metal and you know <laughs> cannibal corpse and metallica and shit to get people fired up to kill motherfuckers uh, not uh, even that is a reference um the yeah. the song is was a huge song with the troops uh, in World War Two. Oh, really? A completely, completely different war. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Different war. This is always. Th these episodes are always so patchwork. Mm -hmm. Let's just throw stuff that we in that we does it really fit? Not really what we're doing. We're doing more of a Vietnam story. Yeah. Well, we'll make a World War Two reference. This is the, they are they're always doing shit like that. For me, it worked, but at the same time, I still recognize like they would not be playing Too that. Too cute by half. No, no, no. I said it worked. It worked for me, but I recognize like if this were actual 
people this they would be playing something different. Like in Iraq, they're not playing smooth jazz. They're yeah. playing well. That's because that's what they per- yeah. personally like. So it is weird. Exactly. And exactly. I can't believe these people yes. don't personally like you know music from their own place, but um, of their own time period. So everybody. But nonetheless, uh, here's I've chilled out on Vic a little bit. My biggest. I, I think I've gotten to why I hate Vic more than ever. Um, yeah. Berman Star Trek has has always tried to be like aggressively styleless. You know, you think, even you think back to like, you know, what space movies look like and then what Next Generation did. So yeah. there's not like that, yeah. that's like, it's almost like that the style is almost like it's stylish on accident. Mm-hmm. Like we like it in nostalgia, but there's not any sort of aggressive style being perpetrated. And I really like style in, I like mood sure. and songs and I like people, do, like, I like these things that make no, like, it's not important to the plot, but it's just a fucking there to like sort of mood you and get and play with your emotions. And you, uh, and so they do that and it starts, uh, Deep Space Nine is almost aggressively not done that. Every, all the music is dumb and boring and all, like they don't, like the sets aren't, like ever, nothing is particularly like awesome looking. They do, you know, and, you're right, but I feel like they get away with more than previous Trek did and possibly more than Voyager well, I mean, does, too. No, I mean, I don't mean, like, playing, like, old, like they played old jazz music. Like, that wasn't, like, bl- and they played, like, the score well, this was score was just, it was just a Steven Spielberg score, so it was, like... I, I know, I know. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that it's not the most stylistic. I'm just saying that it, they, what you're saying is right, but I think DS9 does more of that than other Trek You will does. go back and watch the first season of TNG, and you're like, uh, I mean... This stuff is kind of cute now because it's kitschy, like all of the boards right. and the color palettes of the computer screens and stuff like that. And it almost seems like that DS9 moves further and further away from that to a gray palette and really boring, dull, dark, dingy, 90s sort of uh, color palette. Sure. Um, <laughs> but then you stick in Vic, like this wall-to-wall 40s lounge singer so you have like no you go from no real style to like an aggressively like i don't like it style (laughs) yeah and so and and it's fine for an episode it wasn't fine i hated that episode but like in every time it's like they keep coming back to it and it's like oh fuck so now everything is the fucking copa or the fucking rat pack boomer (laughs) bullshit and like that's what that's the that's why Rick Berman yeah that's why Rick Berman doesn't want style invoked in Star Trek because you don't offend people who don't like the style. Oh God! And yeah, right. and I'm unfortunate. Usually I like it because usually I'm down with you know you think about like how Maniac felt you know or, or any good show uh-huh. or R- Russian Doll the style of that and like all of this stuff that I love but this is like aggressively not anything that I like and so it's just, and it won't right. stop it just won't stop. Because <laughs> like whenever they get any amount of style, I feel like it's a victory for them. Problem is they picked a style that you do not that y'all really hate. Yes, and and I'm not a fan of it either. But I'm just kind of like, well, real briefly, let's 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 take it a different context. Let's mm-hmm. take it into the Kelvin universe, which reappropriated something that I liked from my youth and turned it into made me feel like a baby boomer all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which is the Beastie Boys music. Basically did the same, is basically turned Beastie Boys into Vic Fontaine for me, which is, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. the same, it's, it's the yeah, same the thing. You're doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. And it, so do you see now, like using that example, like why it chafes me? Like, mm, yeah. Because I mean, that's like, I'm not just like saying that's dumb, dumb shit. I don't like the style. I, that's actually music mm-hmm, I you mm-hmm. know I owned and liked in the you know, all important part of my youth or whatever, but 
what mm-hmm. but if you just fill in what James is saying and replace it with Beastie Boys and Kelvin Universe, it's the same argument. But you're you're mentioning that we like we just don't like that kind of music or whatever, and that's why it chafes us. I think that that's not my that's well, I mean, not it's not completely true. It's not completely true, but it's also true. It's that, almost that. worse. Well, it's almost worse because I mean, I the Beastie Boys situation is almost worse because I do like it. Right, right. I me. like Star Trek because it's the future, mm-hmm. but shit like this is nostalgia. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, Star Trek's that's, like that's, Star that's Trek the... is steeped in nostalgia though. I mean, no, oh, it shouldn't it be. It shouldn't be, but it, but it is. At its best, it's not. And this is like a, a a giving up. Like I don't. I mean, like what you know, whatever. Going to see Mark Twain. That's a bunch of bum. There's a bunch of dumb shit. They Nobody's talk... nostalgic for Mark Twain though. Historical figures are different than something that you you like mm-hmm. you put in because you liked it when you were younger. Right. Yes. That's that's. Yes. <laughs> That's some Don Draper shit, right? Or that there. you're trying to hark it back to a feeling. That... It's a bland enough style that they could get away with it, but it's also one they will like and stuff. So, but yeah. I mean, and so I, I would rather if it was just like some fucking weird ass like fucking future music. Yeah. Like I that I find that less offensive than if they just wanted to watch somebody play our Paconian light harps or some shit that I wouldn't I wouldn't lo- I'm sure it would be boring but I wouldn't hate it. They they they've done that on Deep Space Nine too where they yeah you know, they had the, I don't, that guy from the original series show up to play yeah the v- yeah. Deep Space Nine theme song and that was just as dumb to me. It wasn't to me because I don't have to sit here and fight. it doesn't remind me of like Something hey else. look right. everybody wasn't America great when we have Frankie at the Copa yeah. right I get wasn't I get that if you were hanging Pally. out with Joey. <laughs> and everybody's calling everybody Pally and just dumb eye rolling I shit. touched Edie Gourmet's ass and got away with it, but I don't know. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Steve Lawrence gave me a look. <laughs> or that Philly. Hey, you put a Philly in with a stutter. What do you expect? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah, sure. It's dumb, but it's also, you know what? Also, we enjoyed Swingers in 1999, too. <laughs> like, and then now I don't. Yeah, so I was I, young. What was I receiving bears? Yeah, well, Excuse. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> he was part of the time, man. I don't know. You know, you learn the lessons. That's you don't do this. I don't sure. know. I, you know, personally for me, yeah, it would be nicer yeah, if it in was. In a perfect world, would if would I like take Vic out? Probably, but at the same time, I can recognize how it does work mm-hmm. to an extent. Maybe not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And but you know, I I can like go I feel on like it. it comes with baggage. Like it makes me feel that the right the, the creators does. of the show. <laughs> like I don't know. It makes me think they're less good at like i don't know it makes me question them and like i mean they've got a very boomer mindset that's true because mm-hmm. they're boomers writing this yeah. shit in the 90s you know falling but into uh, the dumb ideas of the time isn't you know ain't avert you know? i mean yeah it's not it's 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 you know it'd be better if they did it otherwise mm-hmm. this would be a good segue into our rewatch a meter though don't you think or unless you have any final thoughts into uh, bill mummy gets to gets to have a bones moment like where he says i'm an engineer not a magician he just doesn't say damn it mm. beforehand but yeah and the houdinis are subspace mines that hide and pop out and blow people up and, and then they use them against their enemy and it feels that's another one of those like uh I, ronald d moore has these a lot that was another one of those like Good ideas that why didn't they think of this before? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's <laughs> just there's too nothing you can do about that. You, you know, it's not your fault you didn't have a good idea earlier. But yeah, like his scripts have like like the anticoagulant. Uh, oh yeah, on the Jim and our gun. Yeah, like that was like that was a great idea. No, I mean Tuco is like I remember that guy. I fucking hated it. Like that scene did a mm-hmm. good job of the horrors of war or whatever for me too. Yeah, just, I have a feeling somebody somebody needs to cast him in a good show. He'd probably <laughs> be really memorable. Yeah, his name's. He's playing basically a character that I feel like there's a character named Vargas in the uh, Mass Effect games 
which is basically the same character that he plays in this. You think it's based on that guy? <laughs> well, I think it's also based on uh, Game Over Man in Aliens too. <laughs> That's not quite well Pullman. Not Pullman. Bill Paxton. Bill get your Paxton. bills right. Sorry, <laughs> I knew that. I knew there was a 50-50 chance that I was getting the wrong bill. I want to take a second to praise techno babble in this yeah, yeah. for uh-huh. one second because the reason why nog lives in the future and he had something tragic happen oh, yeah, to him yeah. why can't they just do the future stuff right. and make it all better it's like synthetic limb. they had a really good reason and i think that's like that's the service of techno babble where yeah, it, yeah. it comes in there and it explains why why this is a real mm. tragedy for for nog right yeah yeah the thermal damage to his nerves or something. Uh, a case in point of neoliberalism being ex- uh, executed to uh make this episode is that the original script had Nog lose both of his legs and Rick Berman wanted him to get minorly injured and they negotiated and resulted on the one leg huh. him losing one leg yeah. oh so that's so so that's how the system works that's how wars are supposed to be fought they wanted to have be Nog have be Lieutenant Dan <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, they were gonna go the full. They were trying to go full Vietnam. Oh yeah. Actually, they you totally think about. Were. Oh my God, you think about it. And Lieutenant Dan in the scene, of, like in the bar, is Paper Moon because he's in that. Oh my God, you think there was a real god? You know, like all that. Like yeah. Where you, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're totally. You know, but this is Trixie and this is here and what all you know all that whole scene. But just just shooting wise, that that feels like it would have been a pain in the ass because like Melora did not do. Maybe they finally want to get the character that's actually in a wheelchair would have been interesting. I they guess. were probably. I only got to use it for like one more That's true, but anyway, one, so. losing one leg just bought him like three more episodes in the yeah, show. Yeah, I don't know if they cared at yeah. that point. I'm going to put this, where are you guys going to put this on your rewatch mirror? I'm going to put this at a three. Not my bag, but I would watch it if it was on, you know? I'd put it at a seven or an eight, probably. I'm not sure which. Maybe an eight. I liked it. You got the Reese guy with the with the ears around his neck, except they're catcher still white containers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was another Vietnam Totally. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. They had such a, like, Vietnam fucked up. Yeah, it's like it damaged God, a whole the, generation of people. It, it damaged a whole generation and turned them into, like, the worst. Eh, fuck. <laughs> yep, Vietnam was pretty awful. <laughs> You're right. I'd give it a six just because I, I mean I, I find it really you know it's draining. Yeah. The best parts of it are draining, and the worst parts of it are kind of frustrating. So that's where I'm going to stand. <laughs> so sure. it's a six. It's really good. It's just not my sure sure. It's not yeah. fun. What do you guys think? The good people of IMDb think of this episode. I think we have to remember. We have to remember every name. It's very important. I try to remember that. It's important. We remember that. Does it get to nine, I wonder? Does anything get to nine? I can't remember. Yeah, we've had multiple over nine. Yeah. I'd put it All at right. Are you going to say nine, James? No, I'm asking. I'm, I might be too timid. Yeah. Fuck it, I'll go nine. Um, eight point one. Wow, that's a big that's a big uh, divide there. Yeah, I just don't. I, this has got a lot of votes. It's got one thousand one hundred and forty eight votes. Damn. Which is like, yeah, this was like three or four hundred over the average, uh, vote wise. It's at eight point seven. Oh mm-hmm. shit! And it is a well loved episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the best kind of. I'm critiquing this on the best kind of level. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm, I'm critiquing it on what the episode has to say and not how it said it. So it's always fun when we can do that. You did okay. <laughs> you did okay when you did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like Cisco. If they had truly embraced the concept of just wars and some things are. You know, you just have to be ready to fucking die or kill for what. Like, if you have to, like, I, I feel like Cisco could have been a stronger character than just walking around yeah. going, God damn it. That's what I felt <laughs> yeah. like his entire character yeah. was. He just walked around and goes, God damn it. Well, it was also, you think I don't care about these people? Because not, Quark is right. like, 
would you send Jake out there? And I was like, Jake's not a Starfleet officer, yeah. man. I care about he him. He had a pretty pat answer for that, didn't he? He really did. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, like, that's what Quirk... <laughs> my Jake didn't sign up for this shit. Your your nephew did. And he's torn up when he loses a leg. He's hey, like, my son did have his War of, War is Hell episode. Don't that's bring, what, bring that yeah, up. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then it's a, another thing that I... Uh, like if it, like I'll just say this as, as we're going out. Like if I were Stephen Bear wanted to write a all war is bullshit, he could have done like a Smedley Butler like war is a scam, war is a racket yeah, kind yeah. of bullshit where it's all just like manip- you know it's all big businesses manipulating everything. He could do that, but he never like he just just it's humans are frail right. and this is the result. And only when we overcome and don't forget the sacrifices. It, you know, I, I yeah. can't believe. Th- I mean, it was hard enough to get this episode. I I don't believe that Berman would have allowed a oh this war is bullshit and the Federation got into it because they're mm. run by the you know capitalist class or anything. Yeah. But like, wait, no, we've evolved past that. We can't get into an unjust war. Anymore. Oh wait, next week is wait. Do I know what next week is? Uh, uh, it's the filler episode in between Paper Moon. That's all I know. Oh, oh boy. Oh, I Kira think is abducted by a cult that worships. Oh fuck. All right, Dakot's <laughs> oh. back, guys. Please it's come. It's Renee Echevarria's uh, script, so... <laughs> Please Yay. give me the honorable death that I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> they can't all be Ira Stephen Bear scripts, I know. <laughs> Hugh, is that Hugh Crawford? He's a diehard master. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Oh, oh my God, I just flipped through and I didn't look at anything, but I, I saw something that I don't even know what to think of this. Specifically, this episode was inspired by the Heaven's Gate cult led by Marshall Applewhite. <laughs> Holy so shit. That's oh. what we have to look forward Star to. Star Trek so. will eat itself, man. <laughs> mm. um. Or as Trump calls, Marshall Gate. <laughs> he's going to wear black Nikes, and uh, he's cut his nuts off. Duke, that comes out in the next episode that Ducat has gelded himself already okay. because he was secretly gay. As Marshall Applewhite, people, he's okay. interesting. I like oh, Marshall that, Applewhite. That, I mean, <laughs> no, nah, there's nothing interesting about that cult that killed themselves for <laughs> Hillbop. See what uh. happens when uh, you internalize hate yeah. due to uh, not, not having acceptance in society? Uh, James, as far deep as I've gotten into QAnon, do you think I haven't read up on Heaven's <laughs> 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 What if I end up loving next week's episode? Maybe we that's could. what I need to You know, and it would be the first Renee F. Shavaria script I've liked in a long time, so he needs do. Maybe. <laughs> he needs a win. When yeah. you're watching a baseball game and that, you know, it comes up and this guy hasn't had a, hasn't had a hit and 14, you know, 22 at bat. Oh, yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everybody goes, well, are you going to listen? And I go, nope, he's due. <laughs> Renee Echevarria has, has had a long string of horrible scripts, so maybe he's due. Join the conversation or, or, and by giving us money or, you know, supporting the show. It's not just give me money. It's let us keep doing the stuff that we like to do and, and you know, get more stuff for yourself by checking out the Patreon at patreon.com slash kickersofelves. Or uh, shoot us a voicemail. Give us a call at 917-408-3898. Find us at kickersofelves.com and on the Twitter and all the other stuff that every other podcast asks you to do. Please. Helps us out. All right. Well, thank you for listening this week. Please come back next week uh, as we go through another episode, a very special episode (laughs) of... Deep Space Nine, for Wade, James, and myself, three to beam out. When I was a young man, I carried my pack, and I lived the free life of a rover. From the Murray's Green Basin to the dusty outback, 
I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1915, my country said, son, it's time to stop rambling, cause there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun And they sent me away to the war And the band played waltzing Matilda As we sailed away from the Kai and amidst all the tears and the shouts and the cheers, we sailed off for Gallipoli. How oh, well I remember that terrible day when the blood stained the sand and the water. And how in that hell that they call Sovlevay We were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turkey was ready, he primed himself well He showered us with bullets and he rained us with shells And in five minutes flat He'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia And the band played waltzing Matilda As we stopped to bury our slain And we buried ours And the Turks buried theirs And it started all over again Now those who were living Did their best to survive In that mad world of death, blood and fire And for seven long weeks I kept myself alive all the corpses around me pile higher Then a big Turkish shell knocked me arse over tech And when I awoke in my hospital bed And saw what it had done Christ, I wished I was dead Never knew there were worse things than dying And no more I'll go waltzing Matilda So the green bushes so far and near For the hang tens and pegs A man needs two legs No more waltzing Matilda for me